Practical Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better, because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley. Well, good morning and welcome to the podcast. Today is October the 18th of 2021, which reminds me, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary to you, Mr. Practical Prepper. It was one year ago today that we released our very first podcast episode, episode number one. And if I remember looking at the numbers a little while back, we had one download that day. Uh, And it was probably you. Well, I was looking at it through the backside. So oh, that, so we had a friend that we had day. One, one actual friend. download, and it was probably yeah. family. Yeah, it could have been. And then the next day, I think we had one. And the next day, we had tripled our downloads. We had three. Hey, now. And we have grown exponentially since then, and we continue growing about 30% per month. And we want to say thank you for that. It's all about you guys sharing the podcast and letting other folks know that we're here. And we certainly appreciate that. And we do want you to share this podcast with your friends. So if you have not clicked that subscribe button, please do that. And then share this with your friends. Now, there are those that would say we should never tell anyone that we're a prepper. Oh, I know. I was in a forum the other day when it said, and the person publicly posted that we should not be publicly posting, which I thought was a little ironic. But I thought, okay, I I think I try to understand some people feel like maybe in the environment where they live, they probably live in a place where they're surrounded by a lot of strangers and don't really know a lot of folks very well, and maybe they don't want the whole world to know that they've got this secret stash of food and Mm -hmm. goodies, you know, put aside. And I I kind of respect that. I mean, I don't want to necessarily put a banner in my front yard either to say, hey, free food and ammo. I'm not, you know, I don't want to do that either. But our purpose has been to equip, uh, train, motivate, and inspire people to get started or keep going or advance into upper-level preparedness. I think even the use of the word prepper sometimes can turn some people off. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in just a second. Now, if we had an underground bunker with three years' worth of food, water, ammunition, firewood, and everything else that we could possibly want, if we had that, I probably wouldn't tell you where it was. I hope you tell tell me. I'd tell you. You tell me, yeah. Because somebody's going to have to carry all that firewood in, so you'd know where it was. (laughs) Trying to growl. (laughs) Okay. We do want you to share the podcast with your friends, but we also want you to encourage your friends to get prepared. Now, what you mentioned a minute ago with the word prepper, We want to stay away from that word when we are getting people into this. As an example, I text a friend of mine this morning, and I said, if it snowed 48 inches tonight, how long can you eat without having to leave the house? Simple question. That's a very good question. If the power went off and it was 20 degrees outside, How long can you stay warm without having to leave the house? This person does not consider themselves a prepper, but is more prepared than they realize. Mm -hmm. 
So one of the things in talking with folks that I want to encourage to get into prepping, I use the word preparedness or prepared. Are you prepared to feed your family for two weeks in certain situations? And I use the COVID lockdown. If they had closed the grocery stores, we would have been, we wouldn't, but America would have been in trouble. I said the majority of people. The majority of people would have been in trouble if you could not go to the store. If they did a solid lockdown for two weeks, how long could your family eat? And it's a valid question to be asking people. On our anniversary podcast, we are going to cover two things. Primarily, the topic is when the power goes out. And this is going to be a two-episode episode. Two-episode episode. Two-episode episode. episode. (laughs) It's going to be a two-part episode, one today and one on Wednesday. Now, when the power goes out, there's really four major concerns. What are those? Those are, how are you going to deal with sanitation, light, heat, and food slash water? We put food and water in the same category. Today, we're going to deal with sanitation and with light. And then on the next podcast, we're going to deal with heat and food and water. But before we do, let's talk about our sponsors just a moment. Yes, we are so proud to be able to be sponsored by Jim Curtis Knives. Jim Curtis, a craftsman of knife building skill. He has a Facebook presence and we'll give you some more information about how you can get in touch with Jim Curtis and have him custom build a knife for you. And our other sponsor is ProLine Designs. ProLine Designs hosts websites and also creates apps for businesses or personal use. And they are the ones that have built our presence. And we are so grateful for ProLine Designs. Tremendous website builders and app builders as well. All right, let's talk about sanitation. Now, a lot of people are asking, are you talking about like cleaning my kitchen or whether? No, when we say sanitation, nope. we're talking about going to the bathroom. Right. Okay, just to put it in what we call real talk. What are you going to do with the poop? Yeah, exactly. I mean, this has been a, a situation that has plagued astronauts and people the world over. You know, we're all going to go. And like the commercial says, you might as well enjoy the go. <laughs> so what are you going to do when your sewage and your plumbing isn't going to be working? Well, see, water systems can shut down. And if the water system shuts down and there's no water coming in, then there's no flushing. There's no any water. There's no sink water, no bathroom water, no shower, no toilet. Now, our water systems are generally gravity-fed, but it takes electrical pumps to pump that water up. This is why you will see water towers and water tanks on top of large hills. Exactly, because they're using the force of gravity to their advantage. Mm -hmm. And that increases the pressure. Now, also, sewage systems can shut down. And, you know, that has actually happened in times of like a natural disaster, Mm -hmm. tornadoes, hurricanes, volcanoes, earthquakes that can disrupt the piping and the whole distribution system. And for safety reasons, the utility companies will close it down. They use electrically operated pumps and treatment systems. Mm And you wind up with sewage backup. Yikes. And you don't want your neighbor's sewage backing up into your house. And you don't want yours backing up into their house. I really don't even want ours backing up into our house. True enough. Okay, now septic tanks will continue. Yes, because septic tanks are not the same type of thing. 
that's often done as a rural or an outskirts farm type setting when there's not a lot of easy access to Mm -hmm. the city utilities. Well, and the reason they keep working is it's a simple water flows in, water flows out. Right. It's kind of like a cycle. It goes into a tank, and that tank builds up bacteria, which if you're on a septic system, you need to be putting something like Ridex in there on a regular basis to be renewing that bacteria. And that breaks down the waste, and then that water flows out through those field lines and drains into the terrain. Wherever it drains to. Right. Right. Well, I mean, they're underground, Mm -hmm. and that's why a lot of times, even in droughts, you'll see the grass is very green over the field tank, uh, the field lines, and it's dry in the rest of the yard. I have seen that. Because it is getting the water that it needs. Mm -hmm. So what do we do? What do we do about our sanitation? So that's a very good question. And so the the preparedness prepper in me would say, perhaps I need to go into my backup stash of saved water in water jugs to be able to pour some of that into a, a toilet situation for a flushing. Pour it into the tank so that you can flush it. Exactly. Now, that's a good place that you can use collected rainwater. Right. Water that's not necessarily potable water. Water that is, you're not going to consume it. Right. This this you know. is good from the swimming pool. The lake, the, the creek, river, the, the lo- creek. Any, anywhere you can get it. Yes. And I would use that over my drinking water if at all possible. Absolutely. And if you're washing dishes, save that water. You can use that water to flush the toilet. True. Yeah, you could you can wash your dishes now in like a, a basin, mm-hmm. a little uh, dollar store type of a dish pan, they call mm-hmm. them. And yeah, you can take that and you're going to discard it anyway. Just, just, you might as well make use of it. Just pour it over into a five-gallon bucket and pour that into the back of the tank when the time comes you and know, you need that. I had never thought about that. I had never thought. I was thinking washing dishes in the sink, you just got to let that. But you could still pitcher out that sink water if you, you could. had to. But water is too valuable to just be running down the sink. Right. And we may be in a sewage system not working, but if the sewage system isn't working, then the toilet's probably not working unless you're on a septic tank. Exactly. Let's talk about the actual going. Mm-hmm. There are camp toilets. There are composting toilets, little mini toilets that you can purchase and have that on hand. But I tend to be a little bit cheap, and I tend to find another way to do it. So what are some other ways that we can do this? Now, we can build an outhouse. We can go out in the yard. We can dig a hole, and we can put a potty chair over that and put a curtain around it and have some lime to throw in there and cover the hole back up. But what are some other ways that we can do this without having to go out to the outhouse? There are some how-tos on taking a five-gallon big box store bucket, and you could either place some sort of toilet seat on it. I've actually seen a pool noodle split halfway, and the pool noodle fitted Mm -hmm. upon the top of the bucket for comfort. Now, I realize that we have a lot of listeners that, just to put it delicately, we're all of different body sizes. There are some of us that don't weigh a whole lot, and there are some of us that have a little bit of extra weight. So you have to be a little mindful of mm-hmm. what your system is. It's going to be comfortable and useful. You can take that bucket, and you can line it with a trash bag, and 
you can figure out a way, if it's just you using it, you might have a way to close that off so that there's not an odor situation. Or you may tie it off and have, like they do that diaper genie kind of thing, and have a tie it off close and then have another area of that bag open and then tie it off. Get three trips per bag. Right, because some of these bags can be quite large and you can now, tie it off. I would put the bag in it and then put the pool noodle on it so that it holds it in place. That's a good idea. Rather than bringing it out and over the pool sure, noodle, I sure. would put it yeah. over the five-gallon bucket, put the pool noodle down on that to hold it in place. You know, I kind of like the potty chair idea better. Now, the more I think mm-hmm. about it, the more I think if you can devise a way to put the five-gallon bucket under the potty chair, and you may have to get creative here because some five-gallon buckets are very tall. So you may have to carefully cut, you know, like the top rim off of the bucket to get it to fit comfortably under the chair. Or find a bucket that works. Now, yes, a lot but, of potty yeah. chairs have that little container that slides in it under there. Right, yeah, like what they call a bedside toilet. Yes, yeah. and, and and you could even line that. Certainly. Now, another thing, especially you were mentioning if it's just you or if it's just the two of us, one or two people in the house, and you mentioned this a while back, is having a box of cat litter. Absolutely. If it works for cats, why wouldn't it work for, you know, people? And the cat litter that we're using is so efficient because not only will it, you know, cover the solids and and dehydrate them quickly, it will clump up the liquid waste to a form of dry that you can easily scoop it out with mm-hmm. the cat litter scooper. I I scoop the cat litter boxes regularly, so I know that this is a system that works. And it dawned on me, I said, well, why wouldn't I even use that for my purposes if I needed to? It controls the odor, it contains the waste, and it makes it easy to discard because you're only discarding the used litter. You're well, leaving the good litter behind. You are in the cat box. Yeah. But if I'm doing this in the toilet, I'm probably just leaving it all in there. I'm Personally, well, yeah, you know. I'll dedicate another half a cup or cup to it. You, know. <laughs> yeah. we, you we'll, just make use of what you have. We'll just keep yeah. a little extra cat litter around, which we keep a fair supply anyway. So that's one way that you could do that. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have to find a place to put those buckets or those liners containing the human waste. Right. Now, in most situations... We're not going to be in something where we are looking at more than two weeks. Okay. True, true. The, the trash will probably be running within two or three weeks at the very longest. So you could put those into the trash can. You could store them in a separate container outside somewhere. But now if we're into a very long-term situation, now we're going to have to get into either burning it or burying it. One of the two. Or possibly there are some biodegradable alternatives that you could use. For example, if you didn't want to use a plastic non-degradable bag, you possibly could fashion some sort of a brown paper bag with the cat litter in there that would be a biodegradable solution. 
and that eventually you could bury that and all of it's going to biodegrade and you're not going to be poisoning the environment. But you would have to put the cat litter in before you put any liquid waste into the paper bag. Oh, of course. And you'd have so. to be very judicious about how that waste is in that paper bag. And or the, there are some biodegradable synthetic products, but they're harder to find. Now, another thing that you could do, and this would go with like some of the toilets, and that is to use some of the chemicals that goes into campers and RVs in those toilets. Yes, that's true. There are some products that you can actually purchase at an RV store, a camping store, mm-hmm. that uh, are for use in what they call the black water. Right. They've got your, your potable water, your gray water, and your black water. Black water is your human waste water. And that would buy you some time on the decomposition of the solid waste, and then you might be able to deal with that a little bit later. Anyway, that's just a few options that we have there, and it's something to think about ahead of time. It's something that you may need to make some preparations for, but just to keep in mind, this can happen and does happen from time to time, even in normal times. All right, let's take a break, talk about our sponsors, and we'll be back in just a minute. Back in the day, if you had a business, you put an ad in the phone book and maybe the newspaper. When a prospective customer wanted what you did or sold, they would look you up in the yellow pages and give you a call on the landline. Well, that's not so anymore. In fact, if customers are under the age of 30, they may not even know what a phone book is. Today, everyone goes to the Internet looking for information before they buy. Even those of us who grew up with the phone book are going to the Internet before making buying decisions. In the 1990s and early 2000s, it was enough to have a website that told people your name, what you did, where you were, and your phone number. They looked you up and gave you a call. Websites were relatively easy to build, and they were all pretty basic. But they were websites, and we had a presence. Not so today. Prospective customers want to go to your website, find your product or service, read about it, compare it to others, then order it and pay for it online. If your business doesn't have a high-quality, very professional website, I can guarantee that your business is losing sales that you could otherwise be making. You need a professional website designer and builder, and you need good, reliable hosting. Proline Designs built the website for our latest book, Practical Prepping for Everyday People. It's a beautiful site, and it has sold a lot of books. Proline Designs is now building our rebranded Practical Prepping website, which will include a blog, forum, articles, books, and items to purchase, as well as our podcasts. Proline Designs also hosts our websites at lower cost than any other comparable company we found. That's value. And their reliability? Well, we have never experienced a website outage. That's reliability. Proline Designs. Mark is a bit of a knife nut. He loves a good knife, and that's the very reason that I purchased for him a handcrafted Jim Curtis knife. Because a custom knife seems to have its own personality. It's unlike any of those generic knives you get at a big box store. Mark has a Jim Curtis knife that just screams, look at me, handle me, use me. It is made of Alabama Damascus steel, which holds a razor-sharp edge, and it is adorned with a beautiful red, white, and blue micarta handle. I had it built for him special for a Christmas gift last year, and he proudly carries it as an off-duty EDC knife. 
You can have your Jim Curtis knife built to your design specifications, or you can select one that he's already designed and built, ready to be purchased. Whichever you choose, it will come with a lifetime guarantee, lifetime sharpening, and two band-aids. Yes, it's just that sharp. Check out Jim Curtis Knives on Facebook at facebook.com slash Knives, or drop him an email at j.curtis7mm at yahoo.com. Both of these links are in our show notes, and we'll also put them on the Practical Prepping website. Well, we're back. Let's talk about light. When the power goes out, the lights go out. That's exactly right. So that's where you need to have some preps on how are you going to light your way, inside or outside. Uh, So obviously you would want some sort of battery or some kind of an inverter that could run some lamps, perhaps some small devices maybe to charge your phone. Fans, if it's still hot weather, you're going to need some air because the air conditioning's not going to be running. Something to maybe operate your television and your Wi-Fi routers. Yeah, and when we talk about battery and inverter, we're just talking about a car battery. Now, a deep cycle battery, marine battery, that is designed to be deeply discharged, like for a trolling motor or something, Car batteries and deep cycle batteries are designed totally different. One is designed to put out a lot of cranking amps and to be charged back up. So it does your car battery each time you use it doesn't drain it very far. And then while you're driving, it charges it back up. And it is designed to be discharged a little bit and recharged. Now your deep cycle batteries, they are designed to be discharged almost all the way, if not all the way, and then recharged. Mm -hmm. So if you continuously discharge a car battery very deeply and recharge it, it it will go out on you. But a deep cycle battery is intended for that. So depending, and, and I say that to say this, it really depends on what you expect your situation to be. If this is something that you expect to be using quite frequently, and ham radio operators will use deep cycle batteries that are sometimes solar maintained or solar recharged, and it's a total backup system. They run their entire radio system off of that deep cycle battery, but it's not damaging that battery. But in a power out situation, you can go out and pull the car battery out of the car. You know, a lot of folks just never think about that. Yeah, you can go out and pull that out of the car, connect an inverter to that, and plug devices into the inverter. Now, where would someone purchase an inverter? Oh, you can purchase inverters. One of the greatest places is on the highway at truck stops. Oh, yeah. Now, they, they sell some huge inverters in there that would drain that car battery very quickly, but these guys are running you know, huge 24-volt systems in some circumstances. But you can buy them at a number of electronic stores. You can buy them at the big box stores. And I think we've got a 400-watt out there in our preps that we use from time to time. We took it camping with us, and we ran things with it there. And there are some that you can plug into the lighter plug, the power plug on the car. But 400 or 800 watts is a pretty good amount to start with 
to have available for running the things that you mentioned a while ago. Now, that won't run a lot of things, but it will get you some light. It will get your phones charged and possibly run that television, satellite system, wireless router, things like that. Well, for those that maybe have never seen or understand an inverter, an inverter is basically an alternative plug system. Mm -hmm. So if if you have something that needs to be plugged in, like your regular electrical outlet, you'd plug in, say you were saying a TV, a phone charger. That's what an inverter does. It's like a portable electrical socket. We've, we've even used one while we were driving in the car. We had plug-in devices. We needed to plug in some uh, phone chargers. And we, had, we have an inverter that runs while we're driving. And so I can just plug right on in there. I've run them for running computers. Absolutely. And what, it, what an inverter does is it changes 12 volts DC over to 110 volt AC. And they're available in a number of sizes. The bigger the inverter, the more things you can run. The, right. When I say the bigger, the more wattage of the inverter, the more you can run. Now, you can figure it out mathematically with Ohm's law. You can take the number of watts, divide that by the number of volts, which in this case is 110, and that will give you the number of amps that, that you, can, you can power off of that. So, yes, a little science and math there for you. Okay. Now, in addition to that, if you're bringing that battery in, there are 12-volt light bulbs available. We used to buy these when we were fishing a lot at night, and we would hang them out over the water. And it's a screw-in Edison-type bulb, but it's designed to run off of 12 volts. Oh, okay. Now, make sure you mark them. Make sure you keep them separate, because if you plug one of those, if you screw one of those into a regular light socket, it's (laughs) It's going to last about a millisecond. Will it literally explode, or just the filaments just just tear up? It's just going to blow like a regular Mm -hmm. light bulb will blow. Right. But it's not going to to be any good after that. But you can buy those. They're a little bit more expensive than the regular Edison 110-volt bulbs. But they are a very good option to have in the situation of a power outage. Now, you mentioned lighting areas, lanterns. Yes, uh, we actually have some battery-powered. They look like little kerosene lamps, but they're actually LED, battery-powered, on-off switch, small lanterns. They're probably about eight inches tall and can put out an adjustable amount of light from very, very low light to an extremely bright light. And we have actually used them Mm -hmm. from time to time in the darkness when a storm has knocked the transformers out or when all of our lights are out. We know exactly where they are. We have no trouble finding them, and we can position them throughout the house. And it can produce a great deal of very appreciable light for several many hours. One will probably light a bedroom. You you probably need one in there to light a bedroom. You might want to use two if you're trying to light the kitchen or a den, something like that. But these particular ones that we have, they are run by four AA batteries. And we just have to keep a check on those at least once a year. We have to go through and make sure those batteries are not leaking or anything like that. Right. And I think you were going through something the other day and you found one battery was leaking. So we just replaced all the batteries in that. So keep a check on that. Now, there are also propane lanterns. And we do have uh, one of those. 
and it puts out a tremendous amount of light. Now, we used to use it in the camper. They're not technically rated indoor. They're primarily for outdoor use, but we did use these in the camper. We had a couple of them in there, and they provi- they provided a tremendous amount of light, but our camper was not totally air sealed, okay? This was an old camper, and usually we would open one of the vents above where we hung the lantern. We would hang it below one of the vents. Actually, we used the crank that opened the vent to hang it. Had a wire on that, but they're great for outdoor. One will cover your patio. One will cover a large area outside. And then when you go back old school, and there's several of these out in the garage, and that's the white gas, the old Coleman lanterns. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And Coleman fuel, and it's nothing but white gas. And they are very, very efficient. They do get very, very hot. So it will up the temperature, especially in the summertime. You may not be wanting to add the temperature, but if it's during the wintertime, you may want to add the heat to the room as well. Now, if you're going to use propane or the old Coleman-type gas lanterns, you need to keep a supply of mantles. You need to keep those because they... Once you put them on, you you tie them on, you light the bottom of that with a match, and you let it burn all the way up, and it will contract, and it becomes a mantle made of literally ash. So they are very fragile, and you can break them, and you need some others on hand. Now, if you're using the old Coleman lanterns, it's not a bad idea to keep a generator a spare generator, and I'm not talking about the electric generator that we talk, but those those use a little generator in them that goes between the fuel and the mantles. And so those will go out from time to time. It's not a bad idea to keep one of those on hand as well to be able to replace that if necessary. Let's go to my favorite subject. Flashlights. Yes, he's got a collection of flashlights that would impress you, I think. I mean, everything from the sublime to the ridiculous. I mean, which is great because every flashlight is a tool and it has a use. It does. And so we have found that varying the size, the type, and the performance of the flashlights really makes a difference on how you can use it. You've got certain ones that you'll pick up because you know you're going to be outside and you're going into an extremely dark area, so you want your most powerful lumens out there with you. That, and actually, when I go outside here, now, the one I generally take here is not my most powerful because that's my big stream light with about 800 lumens. And if I'm going out to the garage, I want the one with the adjustable beam. It's about 300 lumens, but you can adjust it wide or narrow. I can see across the room. I can see across the yard, or I can look down in this bucket and look for what I'm looking for without blinding myself. Mm -hmm. But just when I walk out the door, I carry, you know, everyday carry, I carry really three flashlights. I carry one that will fit in my shirt pocket. It's two AA batteries. No, two AAA batteries. And I carry it in my shirt pocket. I have one that clips inside my back pocket, my left hip, that is two AA batteries. And it's a little more powerful. 
And then on my key ring, or both of our key rings, we carry that little Surefire that is extremely bright and has three settings on it, and it's rechargeable. Just like with a phone charger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just USB recharge. So, yes, I do love flashlights, but you need to have these of all sorts and sizes, put them around the house. And this is a place where the what used to be the dollar store that's now becoming the 350 store. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, dollar stores happen to go up. <laughs> dollar plus. You told me so, that'd be a good name for it, the, the dollar, dollar plus, plus store. store. Yeah. You told me something the other day that they're going to be carrying dollar and a quarter and dollar and 50 cent items as well. Mm -hmm. But those flashlights from there that usually come, little pin lights that come with the batteries to run it, sometimes you can get, not at the dollar store, but at the discount store, you can get uh, packs of five LED lights for 10 bucks. And it's good to scatter these around. It's good to give those cheap ones to the kids. They need to have their own flashlight or they'll be trying to take yours away from you. That's right. One of our grandsons, he's two years old and he wants my flashlight when he sees me. <laughs> so I just take an extra set of batteries for coming home because I know he's going to kill those that are in there mm -hmm. while we're there. And you need to keep different kinds of batteries for those. There's all sizes of flashlight batteries, D-cell, C-cell. Double-A, triple-A, button. The ones that look like nickels, mm -hmm. you know, those button batteries. And there's, and, and those you know. go in the little uh, flashlights that go on keychains a lot of times. Right. And you can actually get lantern batteries that are really the flashlight lantern, the handheld lantern. The first ones that I was familiar with back in the 60s that screwed onto two terminals and you had the red flashing light in the rear and you had the big headlamp in the front. Oh, yes. And they were yeah. very, very heavy. And yeah. then it came out with the one that has the two springs on top and you just drop it in. It's, it's square and maybe five, six inches tall. Right. And we've got a family member that still loves that type flashlight today and carries it regularly in the house. I mean, keeps it there in the house as well. But she doesn't leave the house a lot, at least not by herself without a flashlight. So you've got all types of battery flashlights. You've got rechargeable flashlights. Now, I would say if you're going to carry a rechargeable and that's your primary light, that you have some type of battery bank to be able to recharge that or it will let you down. Murphy lives in this. It'll go dead at the worst possible time. Oh, yeah. There's no good time for a, a battery to go dead. But those solar charge ones really are great. And, you know, a lot of our listeners live where a solar charger. Now, remember, solar charging is a longer time variable. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to use solar charging, begin using that solar. Don't wait till the day of the emergency to Pull that out of the package. The good thing to do with those is put them in the window at the kitchen and let mm -hmm. it stay charged. Just let and it charge a, up. It's a quick light to grab and go, and you always know where it is. But keep extra batteries for all of those. Then you've got headlamps. And these are very useful for hands-free work. Absolutely. Yeah, there's yeah, sometimes you're if you're carrying supplies from one spot to another and it's dead of dark of night, you know, having that headlamp just frees your hands up so that you can have your hands ready for maybe oh, I don't know, having to draw a weapon if you feel like you need to. I say that with caution 
or just if you've got your hands full with children or supplies or something else, the headlamp is very useful. Or anything that you're going to need two hands, changing a tire. Exactly. Headlamp comes in very, very handy right. there, as right. does a magnetic light that will attach, unless you're driving a fiberglass car, will attach above the wheel and shine light down for you there. Mm-hmm. Now, the headlamp started out in popularity with hunters. And from there, they began to design caps that has three different LEDs in the front, and it shines down. It's not going to show you 50 yards out down the road. No, that's just like for your hands. It, like, well, yeah. it's for walking out of the woods. I actually gave you a cap like you that. You did. You did. Uh, I think I have two. And I really do enjoy those. And once in a while, when I'm going out to the shop, I'll just put that on, turn it on, and I can see to walk, and I can see what I'm doing when I get out there. Mm-hmm. All right. What other options might we have for power outages in order to create light? Well, we do know of some off-the-grid folks that live that way, and they actually rely pretty much 24-7 on their own oil lamps. They actually use oil-type lamps. We even have some oil torches that are in our back patio, those tiki torches. Mm -hmm. We actually have those oil-type things there. And, of course, naturally, before there was electrical power there was oil lamp there was candlelight there was whale oil which you know that was a big thing back in the 19th century but there are some folks that are still using some clean oil for their oil lamps right now and that's how they light their homes yeah and you know our great-grandparents and a lot of the listeners maybe your great-great-grandparents But our great-grandparents, that's what they grew up with. Well, they would have been born in the 1800s. Exactly. And And that's what they had. Well, our grandparents were born in the 1800s. Actually, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe our grandparents, but definitely our great-grandparents did. Mm -hmm. And they often used coal oil. And that became very smoky, and it smokes up the globes and generally needs to be used outdoors, and they would use those outdoors, but they could buy, you mentioned, well oil, and that was used indoors. But then when the refining came along, more refinement allowed kerosene to be used, and that came about around uh, around 1850. So they could actually use kerosene lamp. And that's what my grandmother called them. She didn't call them oil lamps. She called it a kerosene lamp. Okay. Because that's literally what they would burn in it. Now, there's a couple of things that you need to have on hand there. One, you've got to have lamp oil, and it's cheap enough just to buy the regular lamp oil rather than trying to use kerosene. But you can use kerosene in a long-term situation. But you also need to store a few extra wicks. It's not hard to change those wicks. They just, just rotate that knob like you're raising and lowering the flame with it off, of course, and you just keep screwing that thing in the wick will come right back out and you reverse the process, putting a new one in and put it down in there. So that's something to think about with that. All right, here's one that you don't particularly like, but we use anyway. Candles are great. I mean, they're certainly a type of lighting that has a lot of history to them. My concern is just the safety factor. With candles, it's understood that you're not supposed to be burning a candle if you're away from it. Like, in other words, don't light a candle in your bedroom and walk off. And uh, I'm, I'm guilty. I've done this in our bathroom area because I have a completely tiled bathroom. And I use those pillar-style candles where the flame can't be touching out outside of the glass. 
But if for longer term use, if I were relying on some sort of candle power, I would prefer to use a flameless candle simply because it can't start a fire. It's safe to use. It's not going to be hot. It's not going to have hot wax. It's just more convenient. But you do to have to have extra batteries for it. You do have to have batteries for it, of course. So that's where you, your prepper needs to kick in and realize that you've got to prepare for having a good supply of batteries long before you need them because batteries do wear out. Let's just set the flameless candles aside for a moment and let's talk about regular candles and those pillar candles are, as I call, a candle in a jar. Yeah, like a tall glass well, type I'm, of I'm a Well, I'm even talking the shorter, wider. Yeah, those are all considered some kind of pillar candles. Some of those yeah. have three wicks mm-hmm. in them, and those are very good. Those would not turn over as easily. Right. Now, you could use tapers, and tapers are tall and slim, and you need some type of holder to put them in. And, you know, you don't see candle holders that often anymore. Not so much for tapers, except for that's where you see a like a, a fine dining mm-hmm. setup with very formal dining. And you've got those candle holders that are just, they just hold the taper. But I'm even thinking about the old saucer type that had the little finger grip ho- handle. Mm-hmm. Very 19th century, you know, type thing. Now, there are also some commercially made, or you can make these yourselves, is emergency candles. Now, some of them are in jars, some are standalone, and some of them are made of beeswax, and some of them will last as much as 120 hours. Mm -hmm. So that's a nice emergency candle. Now, you can pick up emergency candles that are good for about eight hours to carry in your get-home bag. So those are available, and you can make them yourself. And any of the hobby craft stores, you can find candle-making kits, and I've made them in the past, and it's really not that hard. And you you just need paraffin. You need to melt that down, and you need some wick material. Some sort of a mold. We used to use old milk cartons. We used to make our own candles out of old half-gallon milk cartons, and they'd be tall, square They were kind of fun because you could put coloring in there and you could create these neat, cool, mod-looking candles. But you can make it a craft project for your family or your kids or something. But while you're having fun making candles, and there's all different kinds of molds, you can also be realizing that these can be set aside for the emergency use. So you're you're kind of thanking yourself in advance for making these candles. Yeah, and if you could find an old milk carton, the little half pint and pint. Paper. like Probably, you know. yeah, the wax mm-hmm. uh, coating, that would make a nice mold for a small candle mm-hmm, that sure. should burn a pretty good length of time. Now, one thing that you're going to need if you have candles is a way to light those candles. Yeah, you'll need some matches. I like to use those long stick, those, you know, 10-inch matches that you can strike and they'll burn a good long time so that you can light several things. Or you can have what we call one of those fire stick type mm-hmm. scripto makes a really good one. It's a like a trigger mechanism. It's a barbecue grill it's lighter. It's a barbecue grill lighter. You have to pull back on the little safety latch and then squeeze the trigger and then at the very tip in the flame comes out i like using those because you're not going to be burned Mm -hmm. if you properly use those 
If you find value in our podcast, would you consider supporting us by buying us a cup of coffee? You can do that by going to www.buymeacoffee.com slash practicalprep. Your support helps us keep the podcast up and running, as well as growing. We have a few things in the planning stages, and your support will really help make those things happen. And we thank you so kindly. Well, hopefully we have given you a little bit of something to think about, and we certainly appreciate you being with us today on episode number 112, our one-year anniversary episode. And we certainly appreciate our sponsors, both Jim Curtis Knives and ProLine Designs. And we'll link those in the show notes, and they're linked off of the website. If you want to see some beautiful knives, go and look at some of Jim's work. And if you have a website and you want to check the pricing of hosting compared to what you're paying now, Check out ProLine Design. They provided our hosting for less than we could get comparably with any other company, and we certainly appreciate them, and we appreciate you being with us today as well. And this is the end of part one of When the Power Goes Out, and we'll do When the Power Goes Out part two on the next episode. Anything else you want to add? Well, I was just sitting there thinking, don't poop in the dark. <laughs> have your sanitation plan and have your lighting plan so that when the power goes out, you can be prepared. Because stuff happens. Exactly. Stay prepared. We'll see you next time. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast today. Hopefully you've learned something, picked up a tip, or something we said may have triggered a thought that will help you in your prepping journey. If you haven't already, go ahead and click that subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode and share it with your friends and family. And remember, stuff happens. Stay prepared.